Hello, you're listening to Insight Says, a podcast about mental health and counseling. I'm your host, Kira Deneen, and this month's podcast topic is the parent-teen weed wars and what parents can do. For this discussion, I'm joined by the owner and director of Insight Counseling in Richfield, Connecticut, Liz Jorgensen. Some background information about Liz, if you're not familiar with her. She has 30 years of experience as a psychotherapist specializing in adolescent psychotherapy and substance abuse counseling. She's a nationally recognized expert in substance abuse counseling, engaging resistant teens, and motivating them to change. She's also a consultant to independent schools and agencies, and is a popular speaker on parenting preteens and teenagers. She's presented nationally, including at Harvard University and Dartmouth College. She's also a recipient of a congressional award for her work as an educator and community prevention activist. Liz worked for 18 years at Danbury Hospital in Connecticut, where she helped develop all the adolescent substance abuse and dual diagnosis programs. Liz is a gifted speaker, and her parenting programs routinely receive outstanding reviews, and I think her skills come through very well during this discussion. So thanks so much, Liz, for sitting down with me and having a conversation. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the parent-teen weed wars and what parents can do. So what's your advice? What are we looking at here? Well, it's so interesting, Kira. Um, Inside counseling has been around for 20 years, and I've worked in the field for 32 years. We have never seen the level of um, use of marijuana before with teenagers, and we have hard data over the past seven or eight years that the acceptability of marijuana use for teenagers is pretty ubiquitous. Like, it's just, there's no protective stigma against smoking weed and that's what I really want parents to know and I really want parents to know most of us all of us actually as parents we tend to project what the standards for behavior were when we were teenagers we don't even realize it and I talk about I'm a little older than a lot of the parents we help here but I'm 54 I'll be 55 in October and in the late 70s when I was in high school the the number of people that smoked marijuana in New England by the age of 17, 18, so senior year, was only about 20 to 30% tops. People think like the 70s were like a free-for-all, everybody smoking weed, but it actually was not. There was a lot of craziness going on, and the drinking age was 18, and there was a lot of other cuckoo stuff going on. But in terms of weed, you're only talking about, you know, two out of 10 people or three out of 10. Exactly, depending on the region, et cetera. And the other thing is, in the late 70s, 80s, and this actually goes all the way through the 80s, so parents that were teenagers like in the 80s who maybe have like, 15, 16 year olds now, the, when we look at any drug and its effect on the body and behavior and memory, the brain, etc., we really have to look at the dose, right? Because there's a huge difference between one shot of alcohol and 10 shots of alcohol, obviously, right? Yeah. Or, or one glass of wine that a child might drink with us and, you know, if they take the whole bottle. So I need parents to understand what we may or may not have inhaled, like, in 1980. Because if they were smoking a joint back then, <laughs> right. the joint today is not the same. Can exactly. you explain yeah, yeah. why it's not the same so, anymore? So obviously, and I always try to, this is one thing I get the teenagers to pay attention to, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit about how parents can talk to kids about weed without making it a power struggle. But I always teach the teenagers here to look at the market function of things. Like who's making money from you and how are they doing it? And like, what's that about? So because of the market function with marijuana, botanists have figured out how to hybrid, hybrid, hybrid um, marijuana plants to have all kinds of particular qualities. But the THC content has been hybrid into plants now so it was the level of thc tetrahydrocannabinol is the main psychoactive property in in marijuana and it's the thing that makes people 
the typical high, like the duh, you know, high or giggling high. It was around 1% to 3% in the 70s and 80s. And we know this because the DEA would confiscate it and test it and they keep records, etc. On average now, and in, in, it depends where you look at the studies, but it's pretty, pretty consistent from like Colorado, Washington State, California, Midwest, East Coast. Although East Coast and West Coast always has the best weed. Because whatever, because whatever, they get the, the less, you know, less potent weed there at times, except for Colorado. But we're looking at, at a minimum of like 8 to 10% to 12%, all the way up to 30%. Wow. So before you were talking about 70s, 80s, you're talking about like 1%. Yeah. So that's like super low. So now I t- you're talking yeah. up yeah. to 30%. That's a huge increase. Huge, huge, huge. So, so what I say, I use an analogy to parents. I say like, okay, so... If your child is smoking a one or two hits a day and they say, oh, mom, dad, don't worry about it. I only smoke like one hit a day because it helps me go to sleep. This is actually conversations that happen at Insight. I translate to the parents. I said, well, that would be like you sitting in your room in 1982 and smoking two or three joints, right? And the effect on the cognition and memory is extraordinary. And the other phenomena that I really want parents to know about in talking before they talk to their kids about this or as they're trying to educate themselves is there's something called uh, dabs or wax and what that is is a highly concentrated THC product I wouldn't even call it a marijuana product because um, it was because it's not actual leaves it's a different kind yeah. of composition well the reason it's called wax is it looks like earwax it's kind of disgusting looking like brown orangey color and it is actually made by taking kilos and kilos of marijuana uh, stems and buds and plants grinding it in industrial mixers with the solvent material such as butane is one of the most popular ones and the reason they they um, process it with uh, solvent a butane they use other things but that's the most common one is the the molecules of the solvent bind with the THC molecules and then drip out into like a, a distiller or a processor and make this thick disgusting paste which is 90 to 95 percent which that's just like it's insane so from the beginning of the conversation we were talking about that one percent yeah you know 70s 80s smoking a joint and now we're talking about with dabs or wax it's it's up to high 90s right so basically and another interesting thing and and i always believe in using science and talking to teenagers um in fact i'd love to shout out any parent that hears this podcast if you email me at Liz at insightcounselingllc.com, which is available. I will send you, I have a PowerPoint that just teaches teenagers about the effect of THC on the brain. And they're often really fascinated by it. And after I show them the science, the kids who've been doing dabs will say, oh yeah, like it, it's a different animal. Like I used to smoke, but now that I'm doing the dabs, like you're right I can't concentrate like I'm emotionally like so different I'm so depressed when I don't have it but let me jump back again to the dabs so a lot of parents are not even aware that dabs exist and they're not aware of the implements of the dabs which by the way are is um so dabs and wax refers to this paste that's between 80 to 95 percent THC and back to dosing, marijuana was originally classified as a hallucinogen when they when they decided to, um, in the 60s, actually, the early 60s, they tried to use some kind of scientific model to classify drugs into different schedules and different effects, right? And marijuana didn't fit easily into a category, but it is categorized by scientists as a hallucinogen. 
That's kind of surprising to hear. Isn't it? It's yeah. weird. And it, it hasn't changed. I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of debate in the literature that it, it also has um, sedative effects, and it's, but for some people it has activating effects. But the reason being at very low doses, like in the 1980s, back to the hypothetical, we may or may not have inhaled. If you did inhale some 1% or 3% weed in the, in the 80s, the hallucinogen effect is very mild. It usually has to do with like colors looking a little brighter, food tasting more intense, and a, t- and a distortion of the perception of time. And most people could relate to that. Like if somebody was very high, they might feel like, a uh, half hour's passed, they look at the clock and it's like an hour and a half. They've been giggling or something like, whoa, that's weird. So in a lower dose, the hallucinogen effect is extremely mild and has more to do with like slight cognitive distortions, but that's part of what makes it enjoyable actually in a mild level. The problem is when you get to a very high dose, the effect of the THC as a hallucinogen um, really can wreck the brain chemistry and it gives some pretty extraordinary symptoms. Uh, very few patients and or, or people will describe ha- see seeing things, but they will describe something called synesthesia, which is like the senses becoming blended. Um, so like maybe hearing colors or seeing music or which sometimes feels pleasurable, but sometimes gets like kind of freaky and, and frightening. And what I need parents to understand is even the smoked marijuana has a very high content. The the teenager doesn't have to be doing dabs. But a lot of kids are sneaking around with dabs and getting away with it because the equipment, first of all, it's odor free for the most part because the equipment to smoke dabs looks exactly like the vaping equipment, which that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. But they're little like um, uh, mechanical devices no bigger than a pen really they kind of look like a uh, external hard drive or a zip drive for a computer and the way so pretty easy to conceal very easy doesn't uh. doesn't look like um, a bong or something exactly like that. so like right that's a really great thing so parents are looking for old-school signs you know or equipment like bongs like pipes like rolling papers etc if a teenager is using the highly concentrated dabs literally the stuff that they need could fit in one front pocket and if it's caught i had a situation this week where kid got caught and he successfully manipulated his parents into thinking that he was only vaping nicotine flavored nicotine juice which again that's and a whole other subject there's vaping subjects. that doesn't have nicotine so it's even more if you're trying to convince your parents yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly oh no it's fine it doesn't it's just a flavor like yeah. you know no scent big deal kind of right. and if parents don't know anything i will say if you open up the vaping device and smell there is a marijuana smell but the vaping devices itself, you can, so there's a, a vaping device has like a, uh, internal, um, furnace basically that vaporizes. And they the look dab. like, um, a pen. Really. It looks like a pen. Not even the, maybe we could add to the website when we put this on. We'll yeah. We'll yeah. Some we'll pictures. include a picture. Yeah. We'll yeah. have some pictures on there. But, but the, the thing that's just killing me about this and what I need parents to know is it's so easy for teenagers to sneak around with this stuff now because it's small, it's concealable. Um, and some dab pens are also used for high-grade leaf marijuana, too. So you can use, they're just vaporizers. They're called vaporizers. And, um, you know, and we tend to have a skewed population here at Insight. You know, if kids, you know, we get a lot of data from kids that are using quite a bit. They're vaping devices that you can put the, it's not just wax or dabs. that They could take, um, you know, buds of marijuana put them in the vaping device and smoke even in public areas and there's no smell or very little smell. Wow. It's very easy to conceal. And so that makes it, you know, I mean, I personally, from my vantage point now as a 
as a mom, as a mom of grown kids, I love it when kids get caught because then we can help them. Um, I think it's just a lot harder with these different, pretty sophisticated ways of ingesting THC for parents to know what's going on and for kids to get caught. And I always say to parents, like, you just have to have a high index of suspicion if you find any device on your kid. And you don't want to jump to the worst conclusion, but um, you don't want to take their first uh, excuse. And if I could, I want to add a little humor here for you stressed out parents that are listening to this, you know, thinking you have to turn off the podcast and go, you know, search your kid's room or something. Um, the classic excuses that kids use when a parent finds a device is, oh, that's not mine. I'm holding it for my friend. Right. Classic. You know, it's a classic. A and you just never believe it. It's just absolutely never been true. Yeah. How, how yeah. often is that actually the case? Probably pretty much never. I don't think we've even had the exception that proves the rule here at Insight <laughs> yeah. in 20 years, Kara. Like, I so don't think we've had data it. Right, right. Like, I yeah. don't think. And eventually the kids will be like, yeah, yeah, you know. In fact, my joke to try to get the teenager to tell the truth, I'm like, Oh, yeah, I know that kid. About five kids have been here today that they're all holding the stuff for him, right? He's going to rehab. And then they'll be like, yeah, my friend's going to rehab, and he wanted to quit, and he, I'm holding this stuff for him. And it, this, the excuses don't make any sense. So I say to the parents, yeah. like, listen, your teenager is not an equal to you. Like, it's okay. Like, you can love them and be highly suspicious and have a high index of suspicion for whatever BS excuse they use. Because, quite frankly, if you find something that they're not supposed to have, Oh, another thing that teenagers do. So back to the parent weed wars. Yes. So I want parents to understand we got vapes going on. We got high potency weed. And the, I want to say one other thing before I get into what parents should actually do about this and how they can talk to their kids about this. We're having a phenomena over the, and it's been reported through, there's something called the Dawn Reporting Network through emergency rooms in the United States and Canada through Europe. And physicians have been reporting and nurses in emergency rooms that people are coming in young people generally um although in colorado it's sad they're having like kids accidentally eating edibles any place that weed has become legal and they make it into candy and food products and chocolate bars you're gonna whatever, have those issues pop you're gonna have more. kids yeah. little kids eating it coming in with basically psychotic episodes it's gonna um, affect them a lot more oh my god it's terrible it's terrible but but they're having another like pretty consistent phenomena of young people coming into emergency rooms with what we would call a paranoid reaction or a psychotic reaction and when they knowingly smoked very high potency weed or ate edibles or uh, what are edibles? They're just products with concentrated THC. It could be them. anything. It's not just brownies yeah. anymore. It's no. granola, cookies, cakes, gummy. Cupcakes. There's all kinds of gummy. Um, in fact, I, I uh, usually uh, lecture once a year at Harvard at this, uh, the Harvard Addictions Conference and three years ago. I was doing like an update on marijuana and I spent like, I, I went into an internet hole like for hours. I had no idea the edible products you can buy. So in states where it's legal, cause everything's back to everything's a market function. So there's all kinds of candies. There's um, cake icing laced yeah. with THC. There's lasagna. Frozen, that like you know surprising. how you get, you wow. get Sara Lee lasagna, you get her so yeah. <laughs> With, with weed in it, um, I mean, we're I'm laughing. I'm like, like treats and snacks. Well, there's a lot meals, of treats and snacks, yeah. a lot of chocolate, a lot of chocolate products, whatever. So, and, and so it's easy for a naive user through edibles, especially to get an overdose of THC. But a lot of these reports through Dawn are what looks like a typical psychiatric break, which very sadly, you know, 
severe, the severe, severe biological um, psychiatric illnesses really only affect maybe three to five percent of the population lifetime. Thank God, those are bipolar, schizophrenia, um, schizoaffective disorder. This is where people really do lose touch with certain aspects of reality. They may hear things that aren't there. They may see things that aren't there. They have extraordinarily bad judgment, extraordinary impulsivity, sometimes related to hallucination, uh, hallucinations they're having, sometimes not. So what we're hearing all through Western Europe, Canada, and the United States, where basically we are the world's population for buying illegally and legally made marijuana products and dabs and, and just regular weed, are these psychotic breaks. And I can tell you from inside counseling, and it breaks my heart, we have, in practice, since I'd say the last four years or so, we always have at least three or four, sometimes more, patients in our intensive services that have had a psychotic break directly related to their, you know, high use of marijuana, or even not high use, even occasional use of these high potency things that we've been talking about. And what's particularly terrifying about that is like when you have a psychotic break, it, your brain generates suggestions and sometimes what we call uh, auditory commands like go kill that person that's been bullying you and you so know it's the, the auditory yeah. hallucination yes and an otherwise normal rational person under the influence of these high thc products and here's where we really don't know this is speculation on my part but it's speculation based on the available data we do believe that the gene well we know that the gene that predisposes towards bipolar and psychotic illness is a recessive gene Makes sense. Otherwise, right. we'd see a lot it more in the population. You wouldn't have, exactly. You wouldn't have three to five percent. However, we know now, and I'm speaking to a genetic expert. Kira's a genetic expert. Um, soon to be. <laughs> soon to be in graduate work for it. Um, we we know when we first discovered that when we first unraveled the human genome. Remember, a third of the data was first. They thought it was just left over. Well, we thought there was some junk DNA. Junk DNA. Even when I was in high school, you know, six seven years ago. We were learning about that. They called it junk DNA, and I was like, what? That doesn't make and sense. And now we don't even use that term anymore, no. so it shows how fast things are evolving. And well, and also we know now that a lot of what we thought was unused or junk DNA are switches for recessive genes. Yes, They're correct. They're switches that can be turned on or hopefully left benign your whole life. And what the current theory is, and again, it can't really be proved because like, this is an emerging trend like in the last three or four years that you take somebody who has a recessive gene, one of these switches for psychotic illness, you basically pollute their nervous system with high potency marijuana products. And I'm not gonna get into this now, but also obviously if you use LSD, ecstasy, other things, exactly the same thing happens. But I think that's what most people are worried about. Like, oh, you know, Uncle Dave had schizophrenia. So remember, you should never ever use like LSD or drugs like that, because that's how he you have a family got history, sick, you have a family that. history, etc. But what we're seeing is that possibly these switches for psychotic illness being turned on from weed only, which to me as a parent is pretty terrifying. It is. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this particular podcast. Like, I want to get the word out that this is not our weed or even your grandparents' weed. You know, <laughs> like this is something different. And the kids who've had these psychotic episodes are so articulate in describing like, wow, like it was like what their experience, what was. their experience was, how bad it was. And it's interesting. Some of them just refused to believe that it was because of weed, because maybe they had already been smoking like regular grade weed 
and then they smoke dabs or something and they have like this crazy horrific weekend where they're literally hospitalized and then yeah. they come here to insight for and treatment. i think an yeah. important point that you're making here is that a lot of people say oh we can't hurt you you smoke a little thank you, you. Feel funny the next day you're fine that's not the case yeah that's not that you case. can be hospitalized yeah. for weed and so yeah. that's really a myth that i think you're trying to bust yeah. and for parents to understand that weed is not what it used it's to not be benign. And it's, right. it is something it, to be afraid it, of it. well and here's the thing i mean all things in context if you have a sophisticated home testing kit where you can test your weed and it's one to two percent, I'm not gonna lie, it's probably not gonna hurt you very much. I'm not gonna advocate it because we do know. And who who really has that at home? No, well, I would nobody think does. Not a lot of people. Well, actually, right. drug dealers do. Kira, well. that's the problem. <laughs> but the average folks, which I'm not advocating that. Right. But but the issue is even though even lower grade marijuana for the teenage brain, and this is back to the parenting weed wars, we do know from a two very good longitudinal studies but one that's now being quoted all the time that was done in New Zealand that the teenage brain because it's in this period of intense flux from the moment puberty starts for 10 years and really the first five to six years of the most intense brain development it's basically n not a child's brain and it's not an adult brain it's it's so plastic and it's growing so quickly that it can do amazing things like figure out all the technology in your household in five minutes learn a foreign language like you, you could do a summer immersion program as a teenager and learn a foreign language it's amazing have it. it's that's like the, the human brain for you the human brain for you but especially the teen brain yeah you know teens really in many ways are smarter than us even though they're very dumb too about they have the like, potential to be they have the potential <laughs> to be but like with with like well with the stuff we're talking about they can be very goofy but we do know that the toxicity of THC, even on a lowered level with regular use, has a profound impact on the lifetime IQ. Of and I think the that's brain. a good point to kind of end on that it really has long term effects. It's not like, oh, you're going to yeah, be yeah, affected yeah. for a month or two. No, no, long term We're effects. We're talking about life effects. Right. And, and I just want to also say for parents out there, you have every right to set limits about weed because it is dangerous to your kid's brain we do know it's implicated in many car accidents because of the delayed response time it, 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 if you're under the influence of marijuana even 12 hours afterwards and we know this from pilot simulating tests and driving simulation you have a delayed reaction of one to three seconds relative to a completely sober brain well when you drive a car and a deer jumps in front or whatever somebody matter. it's huge and you know, um, I, I really just want to say to parents, I don't care if you as a parent smoked weed every single day for two years from 1979 to 1981. You still have the right. That's irrelevant. You have the right to say this is dangerous for you. Science now shows us that this is a, a very different product. And I love you and I'm going to do everything I can. This is me talking to my own teenager now that my kids are all grown, but imagine they were here. I love you and it's my job to ruin your life and stop you from getting drunk and driving a car ruin or smoking weed. To make it better Right, exactly. Yeah. And I want to empower parents to like, first of all, understand and get to know everything you can about the actual effect that this is having on your teenagers. And in, in another podcast in this series, I'm going, to, I'm going to get into how to talk to kids exactly about it and how to like set the limits when they're being insane about weed. But I just want to say to parents, like you have the right to do this because 
And it doesn't matter what you did. Like, I, honestly, I have some lovely overeducated parents, I'll call them, and I put myself in that category, who are like, well, my husband and I smoke weed in college. Like, I'm like, doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Like, also, we didn't have seatbelts mandatory till 1986 in cars. Like, it, it doesn't matter. There's a Time's lot of things that are different. you got to keep up with it. Right. And it doesn't make you a hypocrite because you could say, gee, I really wish I had those few IQ Q points or memory. And it was a different animal. Yeah. The weed we smoked was at least um, 10% less potent, up to 100% or several hundred percents yeah. less potent. So it's a different animal, and you just have to help your kids say no. Yeah, and I think that's really the message to uh, send to parents and hopefully what they've gotten out of this episode. For more information about Liz Jorgensen and Insight Counseling, head over to insightcounselingllc.com. Again, that's insightcounselingllc.com. You can also request an appointment to info at insightcounselingllc.com. That's info at insightcounselingllc.com. Thanks for listening and join us next month to learn and discover more about mental health.